0: Hello, my friends, and welcome to another episode of the Addiction Unlimited podcast. I'm your coach, Angela Pugh. Thank you for spending some time with me today. And today you're in for a really special treat. This is a topic I've been wanting to cover for quite some time now, and I wanted to do this episode because so many of my clients have struggled with this addiction And they don't always feel like they fit in with the alcoholics, especially if alcohol isn't so much a part of their story. They also don't feel like they fit in with drug addiction, pills, or cocaine, or any of those, and they don't really hit a hard rock bottom like we talk about a lot in other substance addictions. So I have a fantastic guest, and all of those things that I just said can lead to some Really tricky circumstances, right? Especially when it comes time to get sober. These are just some different obstacles to overcome when you're dealing with marijuana addiction. So let's take a minute and welcome Jake Yoder to the show. Jake, thank you so much for coming on and doing this episode with me. It's so good to have you here.
1: Thank you so much, Angela. It's great to be here.
0: So, why don't we start really quickly? Just tell everybody a little bit about you and what you do.
1: Absolutely. So basically, I started smoking weed when I was 14. For me, it was really about trying to fit in and kind of medicating anxiety that I didn't know I had. And that was a six year long process of active addiction. We can get more into the details of that later in the conversation. But, you know, it led me down this path of A similar journey to what many people go through with alcoholism, but also with some very distinct differences that led me to later on start to speak up a lot about the experience of sort of being in an addiction pattern, an addiction relationship with marijuana. Um, And I started to talk about that experience and addiction in general and how to address Addiction, how to free ourselves from addictions through the principles of holistic health and mindfulness. I'm really passionate about, about that, taking a, a holistic approach to well being that allows us to be free from addictions. And what I found as I started talking more and more about that in social media and in speaking and podcasts is people were really starving for somebody to speak up about weed and about the struggle of that particular addiction. So, you know, there's always a deeper healing journey. What do you want to create in your life, you know, when we free ourselves from an addiction? So, that's a little about my journey and and where it took me, what I'm doing now.
0: I love that and I love the approach of holistic and mindful. You know, I feel like we are It's so ingrained in us to really immediately go for a quick fix and a pill of some sort. Somebody give me something to make this better. And we don't really pay attention to the things that we really have a lot more control of within ourselves and our behaviors and things like that. You know, one of the things that I really want to talk about is the difference between marijuana today and marijuana 20 years ago. Because it is a whole different monster mm-hmm. <laughs> today. It's a, very, it's a different world. It's a different industry. Um, the pot itself is different. There are a million different ways to use it. Could you get into a little bit of that and how much stronger it is today and just some of the differences from, from what we old people would know marijuana to be?
1: A hundred percent. Yeah, you bring up an amazing point. And actually, I think this particular topic is a lot more significant than people might realize when it comes to the cultural shifts that we're seeing around marijuana and the cultural paradigm around it and the disconnect between that paradigm and what marijuana actually is today. Um, Historically, weed just was way less potent than it is now. if you go back to the 1970s, marijuana typically, uh, and, and this data comes from like samples that were confiscated by police and stuff like that, right? This, the samples were like 1%, 2% THC, right? So a little quick background, THC is the active mind-altering substance in marijuana, and it's one of many exogenous outside cannabinoids from the marijuana plant. And there's a bunch of them in the plant, and but THC is the real kicker. THC is the one that actually has that kind of almost psychedelic effect. It's the only one that's really psychoactive. And so the THC is basically what gets you high, and it does that in an interesting way. It, it mimics a molecule that your body actually makes itself. And it binds to the receptors that your body's molecule would bind to. So it almost comes in like it's like in disguise as something that you actually already have within you. And it plugs into your receptors. But it does so with like way more force, right? Like it's, a, it's way stronger than the version of that same thing that your body makes So your body gets like this overload of this particular molecule and it does a bunch of things. It actually interacts with all of the other neurotransmitter signaling that's going on. That's what our cannabinoid system does. It actually modulates other neurotransmitter firing. So in terms of the history of cannabis, one thing to lay out there is we didn't even know this system existed until like the 90s. All right, like that's how new our understanding of cannabis actually is. I just want to throw that out there.
0: Yeah, that's fascinating. I didn't know that.
1: Yeah. The scientists actually did not know how THC gets you high until like the 80s, 90s. And. When, they, when wow. they started to research that, they found out that our body has a system that goes through our entire brain and body. It's nearly ubiquitous, meaning it's almost everywhere in the body. And it's called the endocannabinoid system. Now, they named it after the cannabis plant. They kind of named it after cannabis. They called it the endocannabinoid system. After the cannabinoids that they were trying to research and what they, they figured out the answer to their question, which is how THC gets you high as it binds to this system. And lo and behold, through that research, we discovered a system that is super important for our well-being that nobody knew about. And that system is called the endocannabinoid system. And it's what THC and the other cannabinoids in marijuana tinker. And when they tinker with that system, it releases dopamine, it does what any drug does on some level, which is that it releases a bunch of like feel-good neurotransmitters, kind of blasts you with your dopamine. Now, THC used to be around 1%, 2% back in the 70s. By the 90s, it was like 4% because people were getting better at growing weed and producing more potent strains. Today, the standard marijuana that you would find like in a dispensary is typically 15% or higher. 15 to 20, like like medical grade weed is like 20% THC and higher. And that's not even addressing the concentrates that are out there on the market today. Okay, so just flour alone, we're just talking about the actual cannabis plant, has gone from 2% to 20%. So this is significant for several several reasons when it comes to marijuana addiction and, and the paradigm around marijuana. We're talking about something that used to be so much less potent than it is now. And I have a feeling that that contributes in a major way to the sort of paradigm around weed being what it is because the paradigm that I grew up with around weed and that was present around my inner circle and in the, in the culture around me during my active addiction was that weed is harmless. It's not addictive and that it has virtually no consequences for your health. doesn't cause cancer. doesn't do anything bad to your brain. Like this is what, was taught to me. And this is what I thought marijuana was. And, you know, maybe some of that rhetoric is left over from those older days when perhaps it was a little bit more on the harmless side. Right. Um, But the truth is, I mean, first of all, it's always been a drug. And I think whether we think of it whether we think things are addictive or not, basically anything that releases dopamine can be addictive. Dopamine is the underlying mechanism of addiction. That's why gambling or sex or uh, television can all be addictive, right? None of those are a substance, and yet they're all addictive because they release dopamine. They stimulate dopamine release. And marijuana absolutely stimulates dopamine release. So I would argue that for some people, it's probably always had the potential to be addictive. But as we see the active uh, ingredient in it, as we see the active psychoactive ingredient rise in potency, of course, you're going to see a rise in addiction. And what we have now is a market where the THC is not 2%, it's 20% or more. And, And that's not for all weed. You could still weed that's like 6% or 8%. But much of the marijuana flour that people are using is like 15-20%. They can grow flour these days that's like 50% the the bud alone without It's so crazy. It's crazy. And so I'll I'll give a little analogy for the caffeine drinkers out there. Which if you're a caffeine drinker and you're listening to this, you can do some jazz do a little jazz hands right now. Um, If you drink coffee and maybe you drink tea, this would be like drinking a chai tea, which a strong chai might have, you know, if we're talking one tea bag, might have 45 milligrams of caffeine. And if we were to make that 10 times more potent, right? The marijuana has gone from 2% to 20%. That's a, It's 10 times more potent. If you take your chai and make it 10 times more potent, that's 450 milligrams of caffeine, which is the equivalent of drinking three large Starbucks coffees back to back. So just as an analogy, like wow. that's the difference we're talking about. We're talking about a difference of like, one chai, one cup of tea to like three Starbucks coffees slamming them back to back, right? That's the difference between smoking one joint in the 70s or 80s and one joint now of today's cannabis, like that same increase in potency, right? And I think we can all agree that even though like if we go back to the caffeine analogy for a second, that's the same substance, it's caffeine. There's still a huge difference between the dosage of 45 milligrams, which is one cup of chai and the dosage of 450 milligrams, which is the three Starbucks cups. Right. And that's what we're seeing with weed, a huge increase in dosage. And that's not even addressing the concentrates, the concentrates out there, the oil, the shatter, the, you know, people dabbing. Like I, When I quit, that stuff was just starting to come on the scene and get really popular. Thank God I got out when I did because my friends had all switched over to shatter. They were all doing bong rips of like oils and that stuff is extremely potent. It's like 80% THC, some of it.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask you that because I actually have a couple of clients right now that always talk about the oil. And so I was going to ask you, what is the difference with oil um, or tinctures or all of that? So I'm glad you said that, that those are actually even more potent.
1: Mm -hmm. Way more potent. So, you know, this doesn't necessarily like quantity is a huge piece of the puzzle, right? If you're smoking a joint of 70s weed versus a same size joint of 2023 weed, that's a huge difference in dosage. Some people would say, well, you know, it's more potent, so I don't need as much of it. I I only take one hit. And and that's fine. But a lot of people are still using the same amount that people would typically use. Like, you know, maybe smoking a couple of joints or they smoke a joint in the morning. Like a lot of the people that I work with are are like I used to be. They smoke morning, noon, and night. They smoke all day. Or they at least smoke every single day in a way that they feel is holding them back. And a lot of people, I think, are using a comparable amount um, and therefore just getting a way higher dosage of THC. I mean, uh, you know, we have data now. uh, And the other thing is it's it's not a non-addictive substance. That's just a completely false statement at this point time, we have clear data to back that up. It's not just anecdotal experience, which is also still valid, by the way. I mean, you have tons of people, thousands of people follow me on social media because they're struggling with the marijuana addiction. So, you know, if people are feeling like they're addicted to this thing, then it's addictive. addictive. Um, yeah, But we have data from the CDC um, that shows that about 9% of people who use marijuana experience a substance abuse situation with it, an addiction with it. Um, Wow. Yeah. And they define addiction as basically, you know, using a, a, a substance or behavior that's having a significant impact, detrimental impact on your life, right? Career, family, they right. use the definition of addiction that's in the DSM. Um and so marijuana absolutely qualifies as addictive.
0: What does the research say as far as like the long-term effects of the marijuana today versus a couple of decades ago?
1: So my understanding and I you know I'm not a neuroscientist um but basically what THC does the way that it affects us and the way that marijuana affects us, it has an impact on memory, focus, learning. Um, It has an impact on motivation. It's really well-documented to have all these detrimental impacts on our health, basically, our mental health, our our system.
0: But is it at is it on a larger scale because the potency is so much different now because that's all the same stuff, right? That it's always been like, this is what happens. It makes you lazy. You don't want to do anything. You can't store memories properly, right? Which is the same with, um, drinking and drugs too. You know, it's, you kind of have a lot of those same issues. Mm-hmm. Um, But is it to a larger degree now because that potency is different? Like, is it affecting people more quickly or more harshly, anything like that?
1: Absolutely. Yeah, it has a – the dosage being increased so much of THC in in the cannabis definitely brings all of those detrimental effects up. It it increases all of those effects. and. As far as we know, most of that is reversible with a long period of abstinence. Um, But I will say that some things are not like there's been research into the way that marijuana use impacts speech and people who have used marijuana chronically at some point in their past, even years and years into the future. Have notably altered speech patterns. It's very subtle, but it's detectable. And so I guess I just look to that research as evidence that, like, we can't say that everything marijuana is doing to you is like totally reversible once you get off of it. But the good news is that, yeah, most of it is. Um, But we also don't have a ton of research on that. Like we don't we don't really know yet what the THC at this potency with long-term use is going to do to people over right. the long term.
0: With all of that being said, what have you noticed in your practice working with people to recover from this addiction? What have you noticed are some of the bigger obstacles that may be different from alcohol and other
1: drugs? totally yeah Uh, there's so many differences that make it really tricky right i think a lot of people would say well sure maybe cannabis is addictive but it's not as addictive as alcohol and on some level that's true i think if we look to them head to head we could say yeah alcohol withdrawal can kill you cannabis withdrawal can't alcohol withdrawal on a purely physiological level can create a more severe form of dependency if we look at it across the board. However, that's not necessarily true at the level of each individual, because some people don't like alcohol that much, never had a problem with it, but they love cannabis. And I work with a lot of clients who have absolutely no issue with alcohol whatsoever, and mostly that's because a lot of them don't really like it they don't really use it um and if they do they don't really have an addictive pattern with it because they don't really like it that much <laughs> um and but many of those folks right
0: and there is a difference i mean there is like because i'm kind of the same way like i i'm just a good old fashioned alcoholic I liked being drunk. I did not like being high. Mm -hmm. And I was never a big pot smoker. I did it in different periods of my life, probably a lot just because my friends were doing it. It was never one of my favorite things. It was never something I would seek out. A lot of times it made me sick, um, especially because, of course, I would drink and that would make me sick with it. And I remember the last time I did it once in my 20s, I had my my closest friends, like they smoked pot every single day. And I never smoked with them because I don't like pot. It's just not my thing, you know? And they're like, come on, just smoke with us one time. I was like, whatever, dude, I'll do it, you know? And I was so freaking paranoid. I was like, okay, assholes, this is why I don't <laughs> do this. Like this is miserable to me, you know? It It's just not my thing. So Like I've always said for myself, I don't ever worry about myself being addicted to pills or because I don't like to be high. High is not my thing. Now, that doesn't mean that I am exempt from the possibility. You know, I'm also not going to keep a bottle of Oxycontin in my Mm -hmm. house because I do have an addicted brain, right? I can be addicted to anything, it's just not my preference. But I think a lot of people don't understand that. Like, I think a lot of people believe that if you have that addictive personality that you will do absolutely anything. And that's just not always the case.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's certainly true that we have to watch out for cross addictions. Like even if you don't think you like alcohol that much, if you're addicted to cannabis and all of a sudden you remove that from your life, one of the major things I focus on with clients is guarding against cross addictions and making sure that the replacements that go into your life are healthy ones and not other things that have the potential to be harmful addictions. So
0: I loved that you went into the explanation with the dopamine hit, right? And really that's the underlying mechanism for addiction. And it's also the thing that even when we get sober, that is the thing that will still lead us to make some pretty crappy choices it's chasing that dopamine hit, right? Whether it's like you said, watching television. Mm. I can avoid my life and binge watch television like a champ, you know? (laughs) Like I can definitely overdo it. I can do it with shopping, chasing that dopamine hit because it feels good and it's exciting and I like it, you know? We can do it with people, whether it's friends or romantic interests. Like we do a lot of things kind of chasing that dopamine hit. And that's where addiction starts to feel like whack-a-mole. You know, it's like, as soon as I feel good about quitting alcohol, then all of a sudden I'm overdoing sugar and food. And then maybe I get a grip on that and I'm overspending, you know, it is kind of whack-a-mole, but it's because we're chasing that dopamine hit.
1: Yeah. A hundred percent. The whack-a-mole analogy is so on point. Um, And in terms of like the difference between cannabis addiction and alcohol addiction or other drugs. I think one of the things that makes cannabis so difficult for people is it's, it's almost never that bad. Like I I just had a call with, with somebody who was struggling with this and she was explaining how it's so hard to quit because she knows it's holding her back. She knows she's not her best self when she's using cannabis The way she's using it. But on any given day, it's not going to ruin your life. You're not going to crash your car. You're not going to lose your house. You're not going to become homeless, most likely, right? With cannabis, the way that other substances might have the potential. I mean, a good example, just bottom line, cannabis can't kill you, right? Alcohol can. Now, that doesn't mean you're not more accident prone. I want to be very clear. It's not a responsible thing to do to drive under the influence of THC. That does make you more likely to get into an accident, but not as much as alcohol does. You just don't see nearly as many deaths.
0: And you're not hurting other people. Right. And we do, you know, with alcohol and other drugs, right, There, there is a lot more collateral damage for sure, but that doesn't make it less detrimental to your life. And also, I feel like even with alcohol, it is... Because we deal with the same thing, right? Like not everybody has a rock bottom moment as tragic as my rock bottom moment. But really all that means is you're just a little earlier in the game Mm -hmm. than I was, you know, because addiction is very predictable. It behaves the same in everyone. It progresses the same in everyone. It's very predictable regardless of what the addiction is. It will get worse. And So I also will have people calling me like, oh, well, I'm high functioning, I'm educated, I'm successful, I make a ton of money, I've got a beautiful family, and they get caught up in that rhetoric of I'm not that bad. And in 12 Steps, Mm. we say yet. Mm. You're not that bad yet. But it will happen. And they'll say, well, I've never had a DUI Mm. yet. You know, it took me thirteen years of driving drunk mm. to get a DUI. It did not make me less <laughs> of an alcoholic, right? So it is, it is that similar thing also where you can, uh, to a certain point, you can talk yourself out of it. Like I'm not as bad as those people. I didn't have those things happen to me. Maybe I don't really need exactly. to give it up.
1: And yet, what's going on the whole time with people struggling with cannabis is they don't feel like they are their best selves in their relationships. They don't feel present with their partners or romantic partners often or family and friends. They often feel um, like they're not performing at their highest potential in life, in their work, in their recreation, in their hobbies, in their fitness, in their diet a lot of the time. There's an interplay between cannabis and food because you get the munchies. And all that stuff is really bothering people. And to me, what's significant about this is like, even if you never crash your car, right, or have some devastating rock bottom, if you're living in a way where you know in your heart that your life is not aligned with the person you truly want to be in the world, and you're operating at a percentage of your true potential that you know is below 100%, you don't really know what percentage it is, might be 70, might be 60, might be 40. You know, that's a, that's a big deal. It's a tragedy. People are really feeling out of alignment and it becomes depressing, anxiety producing, and a whole other host of challenges can come up. And when I ask people, because I always ask people, what would what would your life look like in 10 years? If nothing changes, this is how I help people wake up from the cannabis fog, right? Because they're they're not going to necessarily crash their car or hurt someone. But if they think about their life staying the same and their cannabis use staying the same for the next 10 years, you'd be surprised how many people tell me, they look me dead in the face and they say, I think if that happened, I wouldn't want to be alive anymore. And to me, that indicates how severe this addiction really is. It's a sneaky addiction, but it's pretty serious. It's pretty bad.
0: Yeah. Um, And you used a perfect word to aligned, you know, in that, a lot of the discomfort we have as human beings is when we are out of alignment, right? When in your head you're thinking about the person you want to be and the life that you want to be living, who you want to be in the world, and what kind of parent and partner and all of those things, who you want to be, that dream version of yourself, but your daily actions do not match those thoughts, then you're out of alignment, right? We're not so much of the dis-ease that people feel and we get angry and resentful at our lives and bitter, but it's truly because we're not stepping up and living up to our own potential or trying to get in alignment with the thoughts of who we actually wanna be. So it's like you're disappointing yourself every day. In in the smallest ways too, like I wanna be an employee that is on time every day and Mm overperforms and like knocks it out of the park. But then every day you're getting up late Mm. and hitting the snooze button and you're not spending the extra time on your projects to knock it out of the park and overperform. You're disappointing yourself. You're out of alignment. And that's so much of the discomfort and where we end up wanting to self-medicate.
1: And, um, you know, I feel like cannabis is something that really makes people start to feel bad about themselves, like because they're out of alignment. And it sabotages really important parts of life, like purpose and passion. Um, it kind of dulls everything down. And I mean, it robs people of some of the best things in life. And to me, that's a pretty significant issue. And the 9% addiction rate, by the way, that's, that's like full blown addiction. That's, that's not, it doesn't include all the subclinical stuff, which is like, all the, the full spectrum right. of, like, substance abuse that, yeah, maybe doesn't qualify.
0: Yeah, misuse, abuse. Exactly. Yeah. So you
1: got to think that, like, out of everybody who's using cannabis, yeah, 9% are, like, full-blown addicted like I was. But there's got to be a big chunk in there, I, I think, just from experience, talking to literally hundreds of people that are going through this. There's a lot of people that are somewhere in that, like, gray area that they're, like, struggling really hard with this still, even if they don't qualify as like full-blown addicted.
0: Yeah. Now, will they, is it like alcohol where if you do it long enough, you'll get to full-blown addicted no matter what? Like, it's just not even your choice because it changes your brain, like physically changes your brain. Does marijuana do the same thing?
1: It does. Yeah. So I think a lot of people don't know this, but it does create physiological dependency. Um, It's maybe not as severe as alcohol. Like I said, you know, weed withdrawal can't kill you. Um, it can potentially trigger like bipolar episodes or schizophrenic episodes if you have like a history of that. Um, but, uh, for the most part, you know, the dependency may be not as severe as other drugs, but it definitely exists. And we see pretty severe withdrawal symptoms. Uh, so when you go off of THC after using it chronically, your, dopam- your body's dopamine release is lower than it would be otherwise. Your body adapts, and so you don't have access to your dopamine the same way that you, you do once you heal from that physiological dependency. And it alters hormones, and I've had m- several clients actually physically vomit on a daily basis when they stop smoking weed. And a lot of people experience nausea. A lot of people experience insomnia, irritability, anxiety.
0: Headaches. It has
1: withdrawal symptoms. Yeah.
0: Yeah, definitely. Now, before we wrap this up, I definitely want everybody to hear about your organization and what you do because I think it sounds incredible. Thank
1: you so much. Yeah. Here in Santa Cruz, we have some programming going on for folks in the recovery community who want to find new lifestyles, basically, who want to connect with new hobbies. And we have a, a free uh, boxing class starting up. That's one of our latest. Before the pandemic, we were doing hiking trips and outdoor workout classes. So we've got some programming we want to ramp up again, but uh, we're going to have a boxing class every week for folks who want to come and get some energy out.
0: I love that. It's so important to get people moving, like do things, help your brain get back online and and function the way it was made to before we interfered with it with substances.
1: (laughs) Yeah, totally. So, I mean, for anybody listening, if you're in the Bay Area or the Santa Cruz area in California, we have a meetup group. Um, You should be able to just type in natural highs community in meetup.com and find all of our programming there. Um, And then all the coaching stuff, a lot of my free content that I create is on Instagram and TikTok. And the handle for those is the same, Natural Highs Recovery.
0: Nice. I love it. Thank you, Jake, so much for coming on again and having this conversation. I appreciate it that you are out there talking about this stuff and really being a helping hand to people because this is getting bigger all the time.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I appreciate you broadening your conversation around addiction having me on today.
0: You've reached the end of another great episode of the Addiction Unlimited podcast, candid and honest conversation about addiction and recovery. Be sure to visit us at addictionunlimited.com to join the conversation and access show notes and links to everything we talked about. Love this episode? Please take 30 seconds to subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes to help us improve and give you the information you want. Thanks for listening. See you next week.